Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Ransom Notes. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of a wonderful book. It's a must get, a uh, subject of a wonderful documentary. Uh, subject of a long radio series before she became her own radio show host and podcast host and uh, so many other things. Everything is ransom notes, and it's a positive, uh, it's a very faith-filled um, philosophy behind her, and, and she's lived her life in a, a wonderful Christian-like way, and who better to listen to than Catherine Ransom. Catherine, how are you? Well, I'm just fine this morning, Frank. We have uh, uh, we've had a couple of days of spring in Illinois, and we're sort of back to uh, uh, very very early spring today. But uh, that's okay. At least it's not snowing, and and that's happening. But I have to admit that this weekend has been just a tad frustrating, and it's sort of crazy. Do you know that our newspaper, our daily newspaper, no longer is. Um, publishing a Saturday paper on uh, in hard copy. We have to try and go online on Saturday and read our news. Well, guess who tried for over 30 minutes trying to get the online copy on Saturday and was unable to? You're talking to her. Uh, it was crazy. And then when I tried to get help from the newspaper, well, of course, they don't work on Saturday. So there was no way to get help. And so I didn't get to read a newspaper. Have you thought about never being able to read a hard copy of a paper and could only do it online? What would be your thoughts? Well, I I think it's coming to that. And the, you know, the thing that uh, came to mind when you, uh, uh, when you were saying this is, is just a couple of years ago. And I, and I, I kid you not. It's just, it, it just sprung to mind. I ran into uh, to a lady, and I know her husband very well, and they're both professors over at Stony Brook University, and they had two little boys, and I, I, I thought they were twins, but they were a year apart, and I was in a, a conversation um, uh, with, with her outside of a 7-Eleven, and we were talking in front of the boys, and I think there are six and seven years old. That's what I think. It's either five or six or six and seven, and we were talking, and the word newspaper came up. And one of the little boys said, what's a newspaper? And he said, what's a, I, I swear to you, he said, what's a newspaper? And both of these people, but she's not, but her husband's a, a journalism professor, right? Uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to give them up because maybe people will look at them cross-eyed that their kids don't know what a newspaper. And she thought he was kidding. She said, wait a second. She, she said, wait a second. Do you not know what a newspaper is? And he was like, um... And then the other kid said, Aunt Wendy reads the newspaper. And uh, and he says, oh, I know what a newspaper is. I know it. And I said, bring them in there. Show them what a newspaper is. They don't know what it is. This is a, a true story. Two years ago, I, I, I bet a six- and seven-year-old, I bet you they were six- and seven-year-olds, they had no idea what a newspaper is because everybody's reading it online. And then when they reminded his Aunt Wendy reads the newspaper when she drinks a coffee or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yes, I, I, I get it. And, you know, old folks like you and me are 
or, and I'll speak for myself there, and uh, young folks like you and old folks like me, uh, <laughs> we, we might like our paper and hard copy, but uh, it's it's the sign of the times. Uh, there is there is a uh, online <laughs> version coming everywhere, and soon we're going to see no newspapers, and I would say maybe five years from now. I, I'm, I'm afraid that you're probably right, and I think a lot of us have learned to uh, – enjoy having it if we're driving in the car and we're the writer we've enjoyed being able to uh, uh, cuddle up in a, in a on the couch and maybe sip a cup of coffee as we enjoy the paper to sit at my desk and watch it on my computer uh, I do that sometimes for short articles or there's a flash news announcement and you know that kind of thing but then they wanted you to do your Sudoku or your your crossword puzzle online, and they, along with uh, putting it on Saturday only online, which I obviously didn't find it there, then on Sunday and today's copy, they've shrunk the Sudoku down so, so small that you have to be really, really a very tiny writer to squeeze the the uh, the information in the Sudoku. So they're making everything as uncomfortable as possible to read the hard copy. And I'm, I, I'm sure we're not going to have one. And I'm think, I think I was making the connection with the Bible. And I sometimes read the scripture on my phone, especially if uh, suddenly you're somewhere and I was at a concert. And we'll talk about that a little bit later today. I was at a concert Sunday. And there was a reference to a scripture, and it was fun to pull out my phone, have it immediately. But if I really want to study and uh, read a significant piece, I enjoy picking up a hard copy and sitting and being in, on the beach or in a lawn chair or in, you know, waking up early in the morning or whatever it might be. But I guess we just all have to learn to change, don't we? Yeah, I, and we're adjusting. I, I like a good hard copy of uh i i always have a good king james uh version somewhere you know and uh in in close uh proximity to where i am but uh yeah i i do i do read a lot on my phone well we'll we will try to contact the paper later today and see if we can figure out so that this coming saturday but i've got a more important question if suddenly somebody said you had to go to the opera and you have an opera there in the new in New York near where you live. It's called New York, the Metropolitan. What is your first immediate reaction if your wife said or someone, "Hun, you got to go to the opera today. There's no two ways about it." Uh, depending on on which one it is, if it's it, it one of the Mozart, uh, uh, you know, uh, Magic Flute, or Marriage of Figaro. Uh, I I've seen both of them and they're they're terrific and I love Mozart. Um, it, you know some of the uh, some of the German operas uh, are you know like Wagner and uh, has an opera right here. Has a couple of operas. Um, I I I have I'm not familiar with and I might find it very difficult uh, to watch. But opera is not my favorite. But uh, it, it really is beautiful if it's uh, if, if it's sung well, and you know, obviously, if you're if you're watching it at the Met, if you're uh, you know uh, attending the opera at the Met, it's going to be sung well. And one of the wonderful things that's now available for those of us who do not live within easy driving distance of the Met, and maybe once every three or four years get a chance to 
fly into New York and enjoy it there. For the last few years, there has been a program that you can go to at your own movie theater, and it's called Live at the Met. And a week ago, Saturday, we again joined a group of people and watched the Met in action live from New York, uh, right right in our own comfy seats in our own movie theater here in town. And it really is wonderful. The, the movie, the, the, pardon me, the opera we saw uh, a week ago plus was a Strauss. And I have to admit it was not my favorite. But the thing that was so wonderful is that one of the joys of not being in New York, but being in Springfield, Illinois, in the theater, is that between the acts during the intermission, the staff of the Live at the Met go behind the scenes and, number one, often interview the conductor and or the lead singers, and then they spend time letting us see what's happening behind the scenes where the, where the curtains are closed to the regular audience. What is happening behind the scenes? And this last one was incredible. It took them almost 40 minutes to change the scene because, number one, they laid an entire new floor covering that was like pieces of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, big pieces of uh, paper that, that stuck to the floor to make stripes that they needed in the floor for the next for the next uh, uh, half of the opera. And, and the, the precision that probably, there's probably 50 workers back there. I didn't count them all, but it's a huge number. They are so synchronized because the area is relatively small. They're taking out all of the stage setting from the first half it has to go out first in a certain order to get it out then they they're watching the clock and then they've got to get all of the pieces in but they got to lay the new floor first before you can move anything in and then you got to get the lights and the sound and the the things that sit on the table and all of those the the joy of watching teamwork rearrange the same scene for a totally different setting for the second half. It's just incredible. And I know I'm anxious to go this coming Saturday. It'll be Don Carlos Verdi's opera. And I know I'll really enjoy that one. And we'll plan to go. But as I was thinking, as getting ready to chat with you today, I was thinking, you know, what would I really like to see behind the scenes right now? Can you guess what I would like to see as a Christian behind the scenes? Uh, huh. Oh, you threw me there. I, I thought you were going in a different direction. Um, let me see. What would you like to see? Well, you, you like the, uh, you, you obviously like the, the teamwork, uh, people uh, working together there. Um, the uh, let me see the Verdi. Uh, who's what? Which opera is it? The the Verdi. The, the, the opera that we're going to see this coming Saturday is Don Carlos. Oh, Don Carlos. But, okay. But, I, but it wouldn't make any difference. Why do I? What? I I love going behind the scene and watching the setting being put up. What setting? Am I probably anticipating, wondering what in the world it's going to be? 
Have you ever heard? Have you ever heard of Revelation and Heaven? Yeah, is is that is that what the opera is about? No, but that's if I were just wanting the Lord to suddenly have behind live, not live from the myth. This would be Frank live from heaven, and it would be fun to see what in the world is heaven really going to look like, and the the throne and the river of life, and. God sitting up there with the Lamb, Jesus, there would be no spotlights as we had they had to put up for the opera because God is the light. But wouldn't it be just wonderful if I could click on my little phone here and dial in www.godinheavenbehindthescenes.com and up would come a preview. I can go to Revelation and a couple other spots, and I can see a verbal preview. But, you know, we have grown in this country, in this century, to like to see real things, not just words. I love words. I was a reading coordinator. I don't want to do away with words in print. But I do love visuals. So, anyway... I, I think I probably am going to suggest to the Lord that he revamp what he's planning to do and set up a live at heaven that we can tune into occasionally prior to uh, our arrival in heaven. I'm sure he won't listen to that, but it would be a, a funny thought. Okay, wow. anyway. Yeah, well, you threw me for a loop there. That's that's wonderful. What a wonderful thought to see uh, to see that in, uh, in motion. I I. I thought you were going a whole different direction, which I often think. That's wonderful. Go, go ahead. Continue. I go. I know. I'm, I, my little head goes silly ways. Yeah, uh, last yeah. night, last night, we suddenly, I met some friends of ours here at Concordia, the senior living area where Marianne and I share a place. And I was, I had been down to dump the garbage and some of our friends were walking in and they said, oh, by the way, Kathy. Uh, would you like to go with us to an organ concert? It's going to happen in about an hour and a half. And a really good friend of ours was going to be the organist, who's an incredible organist. So I flew upstairs, and Marianne and I combed our hair and put a little lipstick on and, and uh, dashed down and joined them. And we went to an organ concert at the Westminster Presbyterian Church where the uh, the professional musician, uh, Dale <coughs> was uh, uh, Rogers was playing. It was interesting when the minister, when she introduced uh, the special evening, she said, well, uh, I guess nationally, um, this is the day they're celebrating Mr. Rogers, you know, the person that had the children's program for years and years. And she said, well, tonight we're doing our own Mr. Rogers program. And, And Dale Dale was up in the, the balcony where the wonderful organ was stored. And he had chosen such a wonderful collection of, of pieces for us to hear. I think there were about eight or nine different pieces on it. The musicians, it, and, and the nice part about it, he had music from all s- centuries. One musician, one composer was born in, 19, in 1668. That was the earliest birth. And then uh, one of the composers was born in 1903. So we had very ancient music, but we also had some very contemporary music. Uh, The two pieces that I guess 
yours truly enjoyed the most as it was one by Bach and one by uh, Sansans. And they're, they're probably more popular and more well-known and famous, but the whole concert was, was really, really great. But as we were listening, and as I was reading the program in a quiet manner because the music was gorgeous and there were probably 120 or so of us in the audience listening, which is not bad for organ music on a Sunday evening. <clears throat> there was a there was a piece by per Percy Whitlock. I'd never heard the piece. I didn't know about it. But in the notes, it said it was uh, based on Psalms 68.25. And there was a Bible there in the rack while I'm sitting, and I quietly picked it up while the music is playing, turned and found Psalm 68, 25, and I read it, and I chuckle, and I'll sort of share the piece with you. It says that uh, this the singers were uh, out front, the people were going into the tabernacle, the setting was, and it describes that the, the front are the singers, and the end are the musicians, and in the middle are the women that are, in some translations, virgins who were playing their tambourines. And I thought, oh, that's cute. You know, we've got this parade of people going into the tabernacle and so forth. And, and it was quiet, and I was just sort of letting my eyes skim down the, the next few verses. And then I stopped, Frank, at a verse 30 there in the 68th, chap 68th chapter of Psalms. Because there was a phrase that will relate to what you have just seen and done. And it was, the Lord said, scatter the nations who delight in war. And he was saying to those suggesting that we need to, in a sense, undo some governments and nations who seem to delight and enjoy or covet, whatever word you want to use, war. And you know where my mind went, don't you? Yeah, right. And it's not Ukraine that's desiring war. It's our friend on the other side that initiated it. And I just thought, how do we help scatter a nation who seems to think that war is the way you get what you want? And, and, and then I think we need to share with your author, with your audience right now, because this is where my mind went there in the pew as I'm sitting at the church. Frank was over there trying to see and discover and find out for himself and to share with many listening audiences what's happening when one nation invades another. What are some of the most recent, and I think we need to remind our audience that you just got back about three days ago from spending, I believe you said, 15 days in Ukraine and related border countries. What would you say is the most lasting impression you have after those 15 days? Oh, sadness. I mean, just pure sadness. And uh, the refugee crisis are, uh, is, uh, is tremendous. Um, I think there's hope because uh, while I was over there, 
uh, I was on the, uh, you know, on the Ukrainian side and the and the Polish side and the Romanian side and the Ukrainian side from that end and Moldovian side and uh, the Ukrainian side from their side. All of the countries are prepared for these people. I don't know how prepared they are, but the Minister of Education, while I was over there, of both Romania and Poland, have have already incorporated the new children that are coming in to be uh, to be uh, you know indoctrinated or or enrolled in uh, in in the education program. So they're uh, they're immediately jumping in. It's like they're they're trying not to miss a, a beat. And I thought that was very encouraging. You know, that wasn't that's not like look, we don't want you here. It's like we'll join our our family. We know how you must feel. Uh, come in and uh, and we're going to provide for you right away. And I thought that was I thought that was uh, heartwarming. And I, I don't know if I spoke to you after I had this experience, but. Um, uh, did I tell you I fell asleep on the Ukrainian side, on the uh, side of the road and the right yes. in the woods? I told you, and then I saw troops, and I didn't know whether they were Russian, and luckily they were Ukrainians. But um, it, you know, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, uh, Lviv uh, was a, a a city I was uh, I was fairly close to, and uh, I didn't get to see the, uh, see them, and fortunately I didn't see. Uh, any of the bombing, I heard a, a siren, and and I was uh, I was sent away like uh, like the other cars were that was going there. But uh, I was in this one spot, and I'd have to look at a map to tell you exactly uh, what it is, and it's a different pronunciation than it is the um, uh, than uh, than the spelling. You, you know, the spelling bee champ of the century couldn't spell this, but uh, they bombed the heck out of it. Seven hours and thirteen minutes, I think, after I was there, so uh, they didn't get me right. But uh, I didn't hear it. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't see it. I didn't even see the aftermath of it. But I was right in that area. I mean, right in that area. Uh, seven hours and like thirteen minutes or eighteen minutes uh, before that, I could almost pinpoint. And uh, and I didn't. Um, I, I, I I tell you, it was a game changer for me because when I got to the the uh, Polish side and the reports were coming back on that, it, it changed the whole dynamic, the whole feel of what was going on there because it was very, very close to the Polish border. It was on Ukraine. It wasn't there, but it was almost like uh, Russia was sending a message that we are, and not to get into the politics of it or whatever, but, uh, but they were sending a message that we don't like that you are helping out the Ukrainians. And I think it was in response to, I think it was in response to uh, um, uh, Poland giving, uh, you know, uh, weapons and, and food and supplies to the Ukrainian army. And this was a message, don't help or, or we'll get close because it was very, very close to the Ukraine. And you know, and you know that had to frighten some of the Polish people, wouldn't it? There's no doubt. I, I saw it. I saw it in their eyes and the whole field changed. And uh, I I stayed that night, and in a little you know, there was no TV. There was very, just one little light in there. It was a little cot. I have a picture of it. I'll send you, uh, and you know you're welcome to post it. Uh, it was clean. It was, but it was over a bar restaurant, and um, and downstairs from that, and this was on the polar side. Um, I, I I it took a while before I got in because there was some young 
you know, teenagers. I imagine they were 18, 19 years old, and they were in a different bar. I didn't even know it was there. And they were getting rowdy. And they looked like nice kids normally, but they were drinking, and they were, uh, they were revved up because these are the kids that would be drafted, I guess, if Poland is brought into this, if, becomes a, if it becomes a third world war. They're, they're there. So I was waiting because they were getting rambunctious, and I had equipment, and I didn't know what they were going to be like. But they must have had the song, It's the End of the World and We Know It, by R.E.M. on the jukebox because, um, and, and I wanted to get it on videotape. I just didn't want to get into a fight doing it. But uh, when I got upstairs, I heard like this whole, this whole bar downstairs singing it. And I, I don't know if they were singing it tongue in cheek, uh, but it was right after the reports came out that the bombings happened right on the, the Polish border in Ukraine, but, but very, very close to the uh, uh, Polish border. And I'll tell you, one day before, it was a completely different feel. It was a more serene feel in this village. I was in the village the, the day before as well, and uh, it, 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 was just a, it was a surreal moment, and the whole feel changed. Older people, younger people, older people kept uh, telling me uh, that this is what it was like, uh, you know, 80 years ago. And this is what their parents uh, experienced. And this is, you know, when, when obviously uh, the Nazi Germany was, was doing something similar. But it was a surreal uh, feeling. So uh, a lot of it is lasting uh, memories. I don't know if that, if, if that sounds um, surreal to you, but uh, it, the whole thing has been a new experience for me. And I'll never forget it. And, and my lasting impression is, is how sad an event this is. And I really underestimated, if it's possible, I underestimated uh, the sorrow that I was going to see there. And, and I was going to ask you, what was your saddest visual? And you sort of led right into that. What, what, uh, the, uh, obviously, the overall, you're sad just about the mere fact that two countries are are one is being aggressively overtaking another country that's that in itself is sad but, but uh i think we mentioned once before that i had seen the baby buggies that uh, a picture of the baby buggies that were at the train station in the airport of where mothers coming in could uh, across the border could uh, have some place to put their children to make it a little bit easier to me, that brought tears to my eyes. What was sort of the saddest visual you saw? Well, yeah, I hope I'm not repeating myself from, from last week. But uh, when when I first walked in on the Romanian side into the Ukraine for the first time, uh, you know, I had a camera with me and I had, you know, press passes all over. And I was the lone person walking in uh, against, in, in essence, hundreds of people that are moving at a snail's pace uh, to get forward. And there, there was no, there was no conversation, in, in these hundreds of people. And I kept looking behind me to see is anybody else coming other than me. Everyone else was trying to get out, and all you heard was like murmur, you know, like murmur, no words, no, you know, just murmurs. And and every few seconds you'd hear loud weeping, uh, coming out of someone. And and I, uh, I I'm nodding, you know, uh, to the people I'm, I'm trying not to make eye contact, but they're watching me because I'm the only one walking in. And when I got past, fine, it was a, uh, an endless sea of of sadness. It, it just constant. It just didn't end. And I'm saying, Lord, please let this end. Uh, you know, let me let me get by here. And I I couldn't compose myself 
And, uh, you know, here I am more of a spectacle because it's, I got tears, you know, running down my eyes. And when I got to the end, finally, I ducked behind a, uh, a truck and I just sat there and, and I wept for uh, 20 minutes easily to get my composure. Uh, and I just I, and a couple of people saw me there and they kind of not, you know, uh, nodded their head to me like, yeah, you know, we don't worry. We understand. And then I got my composure and I put my camera together and I, uh, you know, try to, you know, try to look as uh, professional as I could. <laughs> but it was it was an unbelievable moment. And I, I don't know if I told you the funny, the funniest thing. And it was it was later that day. It was like five and a half hours later when I started heading back. I, I had a ride waiting for me from a Romanian woman uh, from a, 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 a shelter from a, a refugee shelter. And we were driving people back. Um, she'd been driving people the whole time, but I kept popping back and forth on the line, even though I was allowed to go ahead because I was considered a journalist. Uh, but I popped back and forth to this, this woman who went in to get her grandchildren. She spoke very good English. She's from, uh, she was from uh, the UK. She's from Ukraine, but she, she was living in the UK and, um, and if, if, forgive me if I told this, but it's worth. It's the only funny moment, if you want to call us a funny moment, of the uh, uh, of the time I was there. But uh, a little kid was crying. A three year old was crying. He was having a tantrum, and uh, and and a lone voice man yelled out to the uh, to the child in Ukrainian, and everybody started laughing, like almost hysterically laughing. And uh, other ladies uh, chimed in, and they yelled something to this three-year-old kid. So I said to the lady, my my friend with the with the proper English, I, I said, "What what just happened?" And she said, "The little boy is crying because he lost little car." And man yelled out, um, "Hey, hey, kid, you want to see the two big cars that I'm leaving behind?" And uh, and everybody else, uh, well, that I'm losing, I think he said, uh, you want to see the two big cars that I'm losing? And everybody laughed, and, and I guess the other lady said something similar. And it was almost like saying, look, um, uh, you know, kid, we don't care about your matchbox car. We're leaving our lives behind here. We're leaving everything behind. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that they even laughed at, as he said that, and there is this funny element but there's really a huge sadness element in that also, isn't there? Yeah. That when, you think, when you think about all of the things that they had to leave, uh, a, uh, I was emailing a friend of mine who had been a missionary and asking if he knew any <clears throat> missionaries had been in uh, uh, Ukraine, and he said he knew that there had been, had been some and that they had been told be ready to leave, I think he said, in 10 or 15 minutes and have have your papers ready to go because you never know when, at what moment you're going to need to leave. It, it's that, that, that whole, the whole element of this is just not new to the world. You know, there have been other times in our history, but uh, we've had relative peace, relative peace as far as world aggressive war going on. We've had conflicts and certainly in places, but this is the first that sort of ramped up and got the whole world sort of supporting and engaged and caring and praying. And that's what we have to do. Well, we need to close off with something just a little bit lighter. Suppose your wife had to wear one of those 
Victorian dresses that we often see on stage or pictures, the, the gigantic. What do you think those Victorian women did to clean, to keep those, those dresses fresh? Is it a, you have any guess? Is it a rhetorical question or, or is it actual? No, no. I, I, I just read, read some interesting news on it. No kidding. Uh, let me see what they had to do to keep them clean. Um, how would they do that? I mean, they dread yeah. on the ground. Boy, that's a good one. Don't tell me. Uh, well, yeah, because there would be no clean. There wouldn't have been any cleaners then, you know, that you could send them off to. And they did not use water. They did not wash them. They brushed them with, uh, with uh, uh, oh, a talcum powder. And then, and then they brushed it off. And that sort of got the dirt off, but it mostly covered up the smell. <laughs> the talcum powder, which, and then they did another interesting thing when, when they weren't wearing it. You, when I was graduating from high school back in 1953, it was the thing for all of us, uh, for high school graduates, to get this little teeny cedar chest, you know, that was sort of small. Maybe maybe somebody in your family would have received one. Or you saw around houses of your grandparents old cedar chests. Well, the cedar chest was an important element in taking care of these Victorian dresses. They put them in the cedar chest because the bugs, if they got in there, the cedar killed the bug that might, or bugs, that might have been in some of the uh, undergarments of these big dresses, you know, because they, they were had several layers of clothes. And they were walking around in the dirt and everywhere, and they weren't washing the outer beautiful piece in water, and so they could become buggy. And so they would put them in the cedar chest, not only to store them, but also to kill the bugs. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I guess I should put my really, I still have my little teeny cedar chest, which is sort of crazy. Sort of crazy. I need to find something that's sort of buggy and put it inside the cedar. <laughs> but it's, it's always good to talk to you, Frank. Yeah, same here, and I'm glad we're on, the, uh, on American soil. Uh, and look, I, we're, we're challenged. We, we face challenges in this country. But uh, I've just been to 12 countries in the last 15 days, uh, you know, including America. So I think there are 11 other countries in the, in the last 15 days. And, and I've got to say that uh, I, I believe, and I'm biased, but this is the greatest country uh, out there. And, I, uh, and we're, we're alike. Uh, our people are alike in a lot of different people. But I pray, I pray that, uh, that we are... Um, we are not drawn into a, a, a third world war, and uh, and I pray for the people of the Ukraine and the surrounding areas. We we all need we all need to do that, and uh, uh, I'll just uh, close with sort of one light thing, so that we perhaps smile as we go away. I have three definitions for seniors. And as you referred to us, each of us are probably seniors. I think an 86-year-old here is generally considered a senior. So when I hear the term camping or a senior disc, that's where you spend the fortune to live like a homeless person. <laughs> Number two, 
I don't trip and fall. I do gravity checks. <laughs> and, and this one applies to me. Losing weight doesn't seem to work for me. So I'm now working on trying to concentrate and get taller. <laughs> yeah, that applies to me too. That one there, that hits home. Those are wonderful. Wow, those are wonderful. That's a nice way to end. You have a good week. You too. And, and to everyone out there, uh, we, we thank you for listening each and every week. We know you have a lot of choices. And uh, please uh, continue to do so. Whatever outlet you're listening to us on is fine. You can find us on 124 different on online outlets. And uh, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Ransom Notes.